Prepare yourself for the clash of punk rock, politics, and your uncensored, unafraid host, Remso W. Martinez. You are about to experience the Remso Republic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. You're listening to the Remso Republic, and as always, I'm your host, Remso W. Martinez. So the last couple of weeks, when we have been talking about the election, when we have been talking about all the other crazy nonsense going on in the world and the perspective of me and my guests and all our wacky ideas, the biggest thing that I keep touching on constantly is culture. If you've listened to this show, you understand that one of the biggest things I point out is we've got a culture war. Everyone's like, oh, you know, everything starts and ends at the voting booth. But no, I think as Matt Kibbe from free the people once said politics is a lagging indicator of societal change for those of you that may have read my blogs or listened to previous episodes of the show you know by now that i'm kind of a nerdy guy i love comics growing up love sci-fi i read a lot as a kid and as much as i am into uh philosophy and political science and economics one of my biggest pleasures in life is good fiction. One of the biggest things I've always liked is reading about the hero's journey. And many of our great fictional tales and heroes, I feel like it's being lost to the current generation of young men and women in America these days. I feel that too many authors are putting a type of social justice agenda into their stories. And as our young people read these stories, it changes their outlook and worldview sometimes. To talk about this today, though, we actually have an author who that's trying to change that tide. She's trying to put a pro-America, pro-freedom message in her work. She's a author of Chronicles of Kibblestan. This is Andrea Rand. Andrea, how are you doing? Hi, Remso. How are you? Thanks I'm for having me good. on. Not a problem. So for our listeners that maybe haven't heard of you or heard of your book, how about you give us a rundown? Sure. Uh, my book is the is a first in a series. It's called The Chronicles of Kibblestan Revolution. I've got a second book coming out called The Chronicles of Kibblestan Canines that will be released this fall. But it basically, the whole planned series has an underlying theme of liberty versus tyranny. How does a country get liberty? How does it lose liberty? And um, it's all in a fun adventure where I say there's lots of uh, a boy, a dachshund, and a ton of snot in a <laughs> fantasy land. So so what, what, what gave you kind of like the motivation to write a book about this type well, of theme? Yeah, what's funny is uh, I invented Kibble Stand. That came about really after the 9-11 attacks. Um, it kind of woke me up to the rest of the world. I was a, a mom with a baby at the time and not really paying attention to world events. And uh, suddenly we were being attacked on our own soil. And it uh, really woke me up to just to how other people are living in other countries. And I I started uh, reading a lot more nonfiction and paying attention to things. And quite frankly, I was shocked uh, when I learned about the Taliban and uh, how women were treated because you live in America and you just take it for granted that you have freedom. And I read a book um, about that time. Uh, it was about a little Iraqi girl who had served as a correspondent 
uh, for NBC News during, I don't remember, I believe the first Gulf War. But anyway, it talked about her story and how she had just thought that Saddam Hussein, her whole world was Saddam Hussein and the whole world bowed down to him and she had no clue what was going on. And the first time she ever got on the internet, her world was shattered. And so I thought, I'm going to write a, a book uh, for my daughter and my dog at the time <laughs> and that featured the, my dog about this land that was very oppressive. And so that's just kind of what, what, started, what started it. And that was back in 2001. Well, fast forward several years, I... Um, my writing has changed. I took a lot of writing classes and Kibblestan has actually, actually changed through the years. And I decided, has it, has it changed based off of your interests or has it changed based off the world that you see? Well, unfortunately, I, I never thought that I'd be writing about my own country, what I see happening in my own country, but that's kind of what Kibblestan is. It was starting out supposed to be kind of representative of, of a foreign country, oppressive country. And now, unfortunately, I, I see some of the things that happen in, in Kibblestan is kind of based upon what I see happening here, unfortunately. What specifically? Um, well, I don't want to be giving any, any giveaways, but, uh, basically people wanting to depend on the, on the government and kind of tuning out um, and and not appreciating their freedom. Um, I kind of the the whole series is liberty versus tyranny, and in all the books I'm writing, it, it there's there's three things. I have a very wise drooling unicorn in the book, and there's three things that he says you need to have a free country. The, the citizens have to value freedom. They have to treat each other as equals, and never forget history. And so those are the kind of the three pillars that the whole series is going to be based upon as far as the underlying themes. Gosh, that's something that, that that's something that I wish a lot more adults could understand. Cherish yes. your freedoms, understand history and treat each other as equals, especially as we've had this, just this crazy summer on yeah. our backs. Um, yes. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that, helped you kind of inspire everything else. Did you read any other books that may have inspired you to think this way? Um, well, no, when I was writing, it, it's weird. I've been asked when, when I write, it's almost like I'm, I'm seeing a movie and I see what my characters do and I record what I see, but I also emotions that are stirred in me affect my writing. And so, uh, when I was writing, uh, this book revolution, um, at the same time, uh, my dad <laughs> was telling me, you need to read Atlas Shrugged. You've never, you know, Atlas Shrugged, you should see it. We're there, we're there. And I'm like, I'd never heard of Atlas Shrugged, never heard of Ayn Rand. Um, but I, so I read the book kind of while I was writing Revolution. And I guess the emotions, as I read Atlas Shrugged, I looked at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I guess... The way that book affected me was it shows how you, know, you care about these characters. You you care about Dagny Taggart and 
and uh, wanting her to and Henry Reardon and you know wanting them to succeed and um, you know they're kind of, the capitalists are kind of the good guys and um, at the same time then you have Obama on there uh, saying you know what you didn't build that I remember that <laughs> that was going on <laughs> and I honestly did not plan for my book to turn the direction that it did but it was after all that that it just kind of turned and I, I came up, I don't know if you remember William Wattenberger in, in chapter eight, but I wrote that chapter really after all that, my emotions were stirred. And then that's just kind of how the, how the book has gone. Wow. Yeah. I, I definitely understand the parallels between your reading and I've, I've read Atlas Shrugged probably twice. I read it my, uh, my junior wow. year. Yeah. It, I don't really <laughs> have much of a social time. life. I read it my, <laughs> entire junior year uh probably my junior on to my senior year of high school and then the summer after my freshman year of college i picked it up again and then i got halfway through and i watched the movies so i cheated a little bit but i just know that reading that book it's very simple things that a majority of the people in that world don't get what you make is yours right what you create is yours what is yours you have full control over it. You could do with it as you please. If I go ahead and make the next greatest invention, I could destroy it if I wanted to. I could sell it. I could choose who I sell it to. I can control where it goes and how much authority over it I want. I can unleash patents into the world and everyone can be inventing it. But that's something that's lost. And, you know, like, like what you said, you connect with the characters and, you know, this is like in your book similarly. It, it just seems that you're placed in their shoes to an extent. And I don't know how you felt when reading it the first time, but I remember when I was reading it the first time, imagining myself as, you know, even John Galt to a degree, it's like sometimes I just want to look around, I see everything on the news, which is mirroring that book, and I just want to start screaming. Yep, I yeah. do too. And the thing is, is, is with kids, it's hard to explain to kids you know, why socialism is bad and, you know, well, why, why shouldn't we, I mean, give an example, education. Well, you want to cut education. Well, you don't care about the kids. Yeah. And you have to, you know, liberalism, it's so easy for, because it's emotional. Um, conservatism, you have to kind of think a little bit and yeah, and explaining it to kids. Well, no, it's not that we don't care about children. It's that, you know, we think that maybe, you know, it should be the states should have more of a play instead of the federal government. Um, I so I don't know, hopefully, you know, these books that they're going to pr- promote American exceptionalism and they're going to hopefully make kids think a little bit about, uh, you know, why socialism maybe isn't the way to go. Perfect. Andrea, real fast, we're going to go ahead and go to our first commercial break. Folks, hang on. You're listening to the Remsa Republic. We'll be back in a minute. Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Remsa Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. What's our problem with messaging the ideas of liberty? Is it the ideas? Is it the people? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's the fact that we're just not doing it in a smart type of way. This is where the Libertarian Youth Caucus comes in. The Libertarian Youth Caucus represents the millennial wing of the Libertarian Party. 
They're trying to expand the party base while finding new ways to communicate simple, timeless principles such as open minds and free markets. What we need to know is how to find the next generation of voters and make them vote for liberty. We can have a smaller government and a freer economy in our lifetime. And I believe that if we want to help invest in the Libertarian Party, the best way to do so is with the Libertarian Youth Caucus. Learn more about them today at lyc.silkstart.com. That's lyc.silkstart.com. This message is approved by the Libertarian Youth Caucus. So people often ask me what podcasts I listen to, you know, when I'm not listening to old episodes of my own, that is. There are many great out there. There are some that are entertaining, funny, you learn from them, they just give you a great insight you're not going to hear anywhere else. But there's one show that really comes to mind when I think of where to get your starting ground and understanding what open minds and open markets mean. It's actually the show that I listened to when I first started learning about libertarianism. It's the Lions of Liberty podcast with its host, Mark Clare. Mark and his team do excellent things, from libertarians in a living room drinking liquor to Felony Fridays. They have a great list of just amazing interviews, talking to the movers and shakers in the liberty movement. And let me tell you, if you want to get your friends who are a little apolitical or they're a little liberal or a little conservative, but they like the ideas of liberty, Mark Clare will give it to you at the Lines of Liberty. So go ahead, check them out on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes today, and check it out for yourself. I guarantee you will not regret it. Check it out today at www.lionsofliberty.com. We've been talking about this in a series of videos, but today you don't need to look back in history to understand the meaningful and devastating impact that socialism has. Just a few years ago, when Hugo Chavez, the dictator of Venezuela, the socialist of Venezuela, passed away, Jimmy Carter celebrated his life and lectured Venezuelans. You should respect Hugo Chavez because he cared about the poor. Well, look at Venezuela today and look at the fruits of socialism, and you will see that the working poor, the unworking poor, anybody that is trying to feed their family is in dire straits in this in this tragic country. You can't get food. You can't get diapers. You can't even get toilet paper. Most devastatingly, you can't get beer to live through this socialist hellhole. How did this all happen? It started with a theory, a theory that capitalism is bad, a theory that private property and a division of labor is bad. One of the first things Hugo Chavez did was seize the land. He seized over a thousand industrial enterprises, nationalizing them. He took over the energy grid. He took over the production of oil, which is today the only way that Venezuela generates revenue. All of this is now a disaster. There are people in the streets, there are people starving, and it started with an idea, a wicked idea, socialism. Hashtag socialism kills. Get your essential liberty fix with Matt Kibbe at www.freethepeople.org. 
right, folks, the program continues. I've got novelist Andrea Rand in the studio. So, Andrea, one thing that you brought up before commercial break is we have a large generation of millennials that are seduced by socialism. And I think you were exactly right. The whole liberal progressive mantra is based off socialism. Oh, if you don't want to have free college, you don't like me. If you don't want free health care, you don't love people. If you don't want free this, free that. Oh, that drives me crazy. Yeah, it's stupid. Because what they need to realize is that, one, everything that is given to you by the government had to be taken by somebody else. And if you refuse to give it, it's demanded by the government at gunpoint. Right. And I think that's a concept that for many, and I even get this with adults, as soon as you say that, they start kind of foaming at the mouth, they start thinking, and they just start going wild. What's important about culture specifically and what books like your book kind of serve is you're allowing these ideas, these concepts to get into people when they're young and when they're still formulating their own opinions. I did student activism for several years. And as important as I think student activism in high school and college is, something I saw was that while you might be able to convert a couple Bernie Sanders supporters into accepting the ideas of liberty, quite possibly, by the time people leave their public education system, by the time people are going off to these institutions of higher learning, their, their opinions are pretty solid. Not necessarily always because they believe them, but because they've been drilled into them so long, it's just become part of their identity. Yep. Well, I think it's very important for parents to have conversations with their kids and you know, encourage, encourage your kids to form their own opinions. But I think that if, if you're not having conversations with your kids and you just leave it up to the culture, um, there's... They, they might not think America is, is exceptional. They may, you know, like a Bernie Sanders. The thing that scares me about socialism or about, like, the thrill for, for Bernie Sanders is when you have people who can vote for other people to pay for things, then that's only going to breed power to the government. And, I mean, I can say that on the one side you have people complaining about, oh, it's the evil corporations and on the other side, you know, people don't like the politicians and the evil corporations. But I hold the politicians more uh, responsible for taking the bribes or from the corporations because the corporations don't owe the American people. The politicians are in, are in charge of the tax. You know, they're supposed to represent the American people, the taxpayer. Exactly. And, um, I mean, just going onward with it, I— I think you you found me on Twitter, quite possibly. And then that's when I looked into your book and I was like, oh my gosh, she's actually written something really good. And that's that's something that I don't see a lot of these days. I don't see a lot of people actually getting involved because, you know, we, we think of authors, we instantly think of the J.K. Rowling's and all these other really popular authors. But it seems that many people and... You know, to to give it some credit, the internet's done some amazing things. Oh, but more yeah. more people need to get active. More people, yes. you know, you can self publish. You could just put stuff out there for free. I, I keep saying this repeatedly. Politics is a lagging indicator of culture. Yeah. I mean, what what are some of the problems you see with, you know, liberals kind of going with the same method that you're trying to do? You're trying to get through people through art, through literature, through 
books right. to hopefully get this message through. What are some of the concerns you have about the liberals that attempt to do that? Well, um, it's made, you know, the children's book industry, the people that I have met in the industry, well, you don't really talk politics, but you, you can see a lot of you know what the the editors and the agents are, are asking for. It's not necessarily they want books on American exceptionalism and conservative values. <laughs> and um, But the publishing industry has changed so much. There's so many open doors where you can. Um, there's big publishers, small publishers, um, you know, publishing, publishing it yourself. Uh, the trick is to get people to to know about you. you know, the internet is just so wild and technology is, is changing so rapidly. Uh, trying to get a, a follower of readers is, is somewhat of a challenge no matter which way you, you publish. Preach. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a blogger. I got my start in politics as a blogger and just trying to, you know, and I'm, I'm delivering content pretty frequently and it's, it's difficult. I can only yeah. imagine how difficult it is for writers like yourself that, you know, create, spend so much time and effort and work and thought into putting these novels together and then you go and you're you're trying to really push it out there for people to read right oh it's it's yeah i've i've told my family i mean i could work 24/7 and not run out of things to do you know at some and i'm i'm not the best at prioritizing my time i guess, <laughs> i guess but i need, what i need to do is just you know, have a, have a time. Okay. I'm working from this hour to this hour and then stop and then can focus on other things. But it's, it's kind of constant, constantly in my brain. Yeah. I mean, just, just talking children's books specifically. And I, I know you want to eventually re- branch out into other things, but just something I've seen is, um, there, there was this one book that was put out recently and some public school systems have adopted it for, I think, first and second graders it's called some boys wear dresses oh geez <laughs> have you heard of that one uh no but it doesn't surprise me yeah the story is basically the title yeah it's about a boy <laughs> that just wants to wear a dress and in the book they're not putting anything else out there they're, ju- they're just saying you know if tommy wants to put on a blue dress and some red lipstick and heels and call himself veronica it's okay yeah yeah and then there's um there's something that you know and you're right. I, um, I, I've been to some writers' workshops and stuff in the past, and while a lot of people, they're not necessarily politically minded, they're putting their bias, they're putting their agenda into their stories. Right. And nothing shocked me more recently than, I, I think I saw this one on the news, it was a book called My Sister is a Friendly Ghost. Mm. And what it talked about was this six-year-old boy finds out that his parents had an abortion, and he's trying to understand that. And the whole book is basically his parents saying, it was good for dad. It was good for mommy. It's good for you. Your sister, yeah, she, you know, she wasn't really born. But think of her as like a friendly ghost. Wow. And I'm, <laughs> I've not I'm heard looking, about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through this and I'm just like, we're, we're freaking preaching the Planned Parenthood mantra to kindergartners? Yeah. Yeah. Um <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believe in in art. You can get your message out. I mean, everyone has a right to get whatever message out that they that they want. But um, yeah, certain certain things. I don't know. I'm a mom. I I wouldn't want my kids, my young kids, reading some of that stuff. It's one thing when they get older. But uh, does it kind of worry you with this trend? 
Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I, but actually there's, there's other authors that I see have the same concerns as I do that, um, that the kids aren't being taught the constitution. They're not being taught American exceptionalism and history. And so a lot, a lot of authors are, are, are trying. I mean, Rush Limbaugh has his books out. I'm part of a network of, of authors, uh, conservative children's books.com. A bunch of authors have, have sent in books. Uh, you can visit if, if you want to, you know, everything from economics to the electoral college and all kinds of history. So, you know, liberals have just as much right as conservatives are, you know, to, to get their, their books out, but it does concern me. Um, a, a big push right now in children's literature is, is diversity, which is great. It's fine. The, uh, as a mom, the, you know, some of the diversity meaning, you know, the transgender, you know, boys wearing dresses and that I'd rather not have those conversations with my kids when they're little, you know, when they're in first grade and that, I mean, I think it's, it's important for, for, uh, people to know everyone's different and not to bully and all that. And I think that that's probably why there's a lot of a push out there, but it, there, there's a fine line, I think, especially in the, in the younger, younger grades. I mean, that's just my opinion. Gotcha. So, Andrea, we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break and head into our final segment. Folks, hang on tight. We'll be back in a minute. Renzo in the mix. For years, the Republican and Democrat parties have used social issues and crises to keep us at odds with one another. They've divided us into groups and pit each group against the other, while those in government have together collaborated to strip us of our liberty little by little. In 2009, I decided to do something about it and the Rupert for Senate campaign was born. Government of, by, and for the people requires our participation, not as voters, but as leaders and decision makers. But the parties have made it all but impossible for real, ordinary Americans to do so. So this average American has, since 2009, worked to give the voters, at least of Ohio, a choice outside the parties. The message is simple. The Constitution protects every American equally, but it's powerless to protect itself. That's our job and it's time we take it seriously. You can learn more about my campaign at scottrupert.com. I'm Scott Rupert, independent candidate for Ohio's U.S. Senate, and I approve of this message. A throwback from the Liberty Vault. law, what program, what plan would be considered out of bounds for the federal government? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they love it that way because this gives them the power to reward their friends and punish their enemies. Uh, You see them on C-SPAN sitting there lecturing businessmen on what their customers want as though the businessmen cannot possibly figure out on their own how to treat their customers or their employees and they need somebody sitting there in Washington who's never been in business in his life to tell them what, uh, what they should do for their customers and their employees. I mean, it's ludicrous. But it goes on every day, and to think that it should be otherwise is somehow some kind of an extremist position. But it isn't. It really comes back to who should run your life, you or Al Gore or George Bush or Bill Clinton or whoever. Now, you're going to make mistakes, but when you make mistakes, you'll learn from them. When they make mistakes, they just double the budget. They just increase their power to cover up the mistakes that they've made, and you suffer for it. You pay for it. 
The problem is not the abuse of power, it's the power to abuse. If government is big and government can reward its friends and punish its enemies, then everybody's going to be showering money on it, trying to get on the good side of government rather mm -hmm. than the bad side. But if government doesn't have that power, if the politicians can't do anything to tamper with your life, then uh, people are going to be uninterested in slipping money under the table to politicians. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke said that when the legislature sets the rules for buying and selling, the first things to be bought and sold will be the legislators. <laughs> and, and that's entirely true. So let's take the power to, to set those rules away from them, and they will no longer be bought and sold. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. So uh, this has just been something that has kind of roll, been rolling around my mind recently. I'm I'm a big fan of um, stories such as The Hunger Games, one of the earliest dystopian kind of fascist feature books I read was The Giver. And I think that while a lot of authors that become these big successes based off stories like that and, you know, like other stories like Divergent, they always have this anti-tyranny message everyone always roots for the rebellion that wants freedom of thought freedom of expression freedom to associate with who they want freedom to think what they want and there's a i think there's a disconnect between the fans and what they see in the films and the stories and what they see in reality and while we keep talking about you know putting this pro-liberty message out there I think that to a degree, some people, it's either they don't want to realize it or they just don't understand it and they're just being mindlessly entertained. What do you think? I think the problem with some of those stories, I think that you can understand that you don't want the tyranny, but people don't realize what leads to the tyranny. How did the people get there in the first place? And that's what I hope that my series might address when I'm done with it. There's going to be four books in the series. Okay. So, Andrew, if our fans want to get in contact with you, follow you online, how can they do so? Okay, well, well, where can they get your books? Well, <laughs> they just go to andrearand.com, and you can buy them. There's a link to Amazon, and uh, I also am Andrea Rand author uh, on Facebook, and on Twitter I'm at Rand Writes. And I have a, a blog that's connected. It's a blog spot, but it's it's just connected to my website. So andrearand.com, you can find me there. Perfect. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you, Remso. Folks, as always, follow me online. Follow me on Facebook. I'm at Remso Republic with Remso W. Martinez. And follow me on Twitter. I need more Twitter followers at Remso101. Like always, tune in. You can find us on so many freaking platforms. And if you want to read more of my work, whether it's published elsewhere or, or you just want to go to the top spot for it, follow me at rwmartinez.liberty.me. And as always, screw the FCC. Good night, America. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for? Rocket.